5.43 on the morning news, and uh, what a time. And you think about what's happening in your yard, keeping the kids, you know, contained and not visiting their friends, as we talked about, limiting your trips to just the grocery store, the pharmacy, and the doctor's office. But this is a worldwide event. This is a pandemic, and we're joined by Global News Europe correspondent Redmond Shannon right now. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, guys. The numbers staggering, particularly when uh, we uh, hear daily the totals coming in from Italy. Uh, the grips of uh, coronavirus, it is uh, widespread, and you must be uh, just busy right now trying to keep up with these uh, latest details that come by. It seems like minute by minute. Yeah, well, it's the, num- the numbers across Europe are quite remarkable and probably nowhere more so than in Italy. The numbers released in Italy yesterday, 475 people died in just one day in Italy. Uh, uh, in the 24 hours up until yesterday afternoon. We're expecting an update, obviously, on that today. And at that point, it seems almost certain that the number of deaths of people who were diagnosed with uh, coronavirus will outnumber the number of deaths in China. And when you compare the populations of Italy to China, that shows how much of a crisis uh, is taking place in Italy and it looks like similar things are happening and coming down the line in Spain and in France and potentially here in the UK today only 104 deaths so far in the UK only I say of course Mm -hmm. still uh, a huge number but uh, it is anticipated that the number of cases and the number of deaths will rise sharply here as well. And Redmond, what's the government saying? Uh, are schools closing from what I understand? And are, are, they, are they looking to Italy like we are from Canada and saying, this is what can happen if we don't lock things down now? That is, um, the, there's a two a schools of thought, or there had been, and uh, schools had been uh, and are in the UK still open today and will be open until Friday afternoon but the government announced yesterday that the schools will be closed come Friday afternoon for the foreseeable future there is no planned date to reopen any schools in the UK after they close tomorrow afternoon they will just be used as some of them as daycares for the children of healthcare workers police and emergency workers and people who work in essential services like food delivery but uh it uh, many people here uh, believe and some scientists are questioning the decisions of the government here to per, uh, perhaps delay in making these decisions and uh, there had been two trains uh, schools of thought on how the science should be interpreted how the data should be interpreted of course we won't know what the answers are until after this crisis ends whenever that may be but a lot of people are very concerned that the <coughs> excuse me the UK is taking these measures after other European countries have done the same thing. We mentioned, and you mentioned, the ramping up in, in France and in Spain, but back to Italy, what, what, is, what is going on? Is the health system overwhelmed? And as far as the demo is concerned, are we still talking about a lot of the senior citizens uh, being these victims of coronavirus? Yeah, that is the case in Italy. Italy has a very elderly population, so a higher proportion of Italians are more susceptible to the virus and the health system there continues to be overwhelmed. The number of cases is staggeringly high. The uh, armed forces there are being brought in to deal with um, the, the dead 
to be blunt about it. Uh, one city on its own can't handle the number of dead people that uh, it has to handle. It's like nothing else that has happened before, at the very least in peacetime. So the services are being stretched in every direction. Countries can't help each other because they have to help themselves. And uh, Italy is where this really is. Europe is, is being called the epicenter right now of the virus. And within Europe, it certainly is Italy right now. But other countries are coming, coming up right behind. And uh, a lot of people are very worried about what's coming. Well, we are too in Canada. We'll be watching what's happening overseas in the EU. Thanks for joining us, Redmond. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. That's Global News. Europe correspondent, Redmond Shannon. 8.19 on the morning news. Following cancellations, travel restrictions, and self-isolation, the Calgary International Airport is a very different place these days. Joining us this morning is Reed Feist, Manager of External Communications and Media Relations at YYC. Good morning, Reed. Hey, good morning, Andy. Uh, Reid, can you paint a, a picture of what it looks like at YYC these days? I imagine very different from the usual hustle and bustle. Yeah, you, you know what? I mean, we are responding to this unprecedented um, pandemic, just like all other organizations in the city. And, and really our focus in everything that we're doing right now is to try to keep everyone safe and, and to continue to run the airport very securely. Um, but obviously it's a stressful time. You know, it's a stressful mm-hmm. time for the public. It's a stressful time for guests. It's a stressful time for the public. And so we, we really get that. And so, uh, you know, again, it's just all about keeping people safe, too. How do you do that? I mean, you know, I imagine there are real strict protocols in place, Reed, to keep everything disinfected, say, for the folks that are still traveling or need to get around. Yeah, so, you know, that's one of the main things that we can do as an airport authority as we operate our facility. So, you know, what we've done is we've doubled the cleaning um, and, and maybe in certain cases even more to any of those high-touch uh, points, uh, hard surfaces, the kiosks. Um, when it comes to international guests arriving back into Canada, if, if you've traveled, you, you know now you do a lot of the customs process through kiosks and you're touching screens. We're cleaning those screens all of the time as different flights come through. Um, and then in terms of washrooms, uh, you know, that's a priority. And then we have signage everywhere in our airport, whether it's digital signage or hard signage, reminding people about good hygiene, uh, r- reminding them uh, that uh, they should wash their hands for the for the 20 seconds and um, and then hand sanitizers as well throughout the airport although we, we have been challenged by uh, the global uh, demand for hand sanitizing yeah. uh, liquids so you know we do our best to keep them as full as possible all the time you know uh, Reed uh, it seems like a couple of short months ago we were talking about the with you about the banner year uh, that yeah. the airport had and now here we are today and I'm wondering and I know it's early on uh, any idea what the financial impact on the airport will be from something like this? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there is a financial impact. Uh, before I chat about that, I, I would just say, you know, our priority right now is the public health response to this. So, you know, we're, we're focused on that first. Earlier this week, though, we, we did put out an estimate that we believe, you know, we'll have probably about 5 million less passengers this year mm-hmm. compared to last. And, and as you mentioned, we had a record year with 18 million guests. And then, and then at the moment, about a 25% um, hit to our annual budget, which is, is about $100 million. But 
Um, you know, that's preliminary. I, I think, you know, what we're learning and what everyone's experiencing in this situation is it's dynamic and, and perhaps, it, you know, uh, it's increasing um, as the days go by. So, you know, um, we'll continue to watch the books. Um, obviously, that's, that has to be a priority for us. But, but the first priority is the health and safety, and then we'll, we'll worry about those financial impacts afterwards. On that note, Reid, talking uh, earlier this morning, Andy and I were about to, you know, still some people are not getting the message about when they come to Canada from wherever they might have been, the isolation protocols. We're wondering why not run just a 24-7 announcement that just keeps inundating with the message that they've got to go into isolation for 14 days. Is that the case? Is there any sort of information being bombarded towards people? Yeah, you know, I mean, from from my perspective, and, you know, I, I was there for a couple hours yesterday at the international arrivals perspective. So what, what happens when you come back, of course, our partners at CBSA and PHAC, they lead the screening in their customs hall when you come back. But there is signage, there is flyers, and then in that kiosk process that I mentioned earlier, th- there is actually a point where we understand people acknowledge after reading on the screen that I will isolate for, for those 14 days. So they get another flyer. I understand as they leave the customs area when they do that final check with the border officer. And then on top of that, our partners at Alberta Health Services are greeting them as they come out of the customs area and giving them another flyer to reinforce and, and messaging in person that they, they self-isolate. Could you imagine then maybe you whack them over the head as well on the way out the door? And- <laughs> <laughs> then digital signage on top of that. But, you, you know, I mean, it is, you know, one of our priorities is to make sure that whatever we can do is to make that very clear, right? And also to make it clear that people have a plan for how they're going to get home, right? We're, we're trying to support them. But ultimately, you know, if you have family or friends coming to pick you up, maybe that isn't the right uh, choice. You know, maybe it's dropping off a spare car right. in our parkade, leaving the keys mm-hmm. and, then, and then doing something like that. The taxis, Ubers, they're doing their best to clean those cars every single time. That's what we've asked them to do. And uh, yeah, we, we hope people are getting the message and whatever we can do to add on to our efforts, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly open to it. But I think our partners are doing an excellent job to reinforce that self-isolation message. Well, keep up the good work and thank you for joining us this morning, Reid. Thanks, guys. Reid Feist, Manager of External Communications and Media Relations at YYC. This week, the province announced the immediate cancellation of school from K to 12 and the closure of licensed child care programs in our province. And that's got everybody pretty much in limbo now during this COVID-19 pandemic. So the kids are out of school for the foreseeable future. What do we do to kind of try and keep them in a bit of a school mode? Joining us is Barb Silva, Communication Director for Support Our Students Alberta. Hi, Barb. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. First of all, talk to us about SOS. What's your mandate? What do you do? Yeah, so Support Our Students Alberta is a citizens action group, and what we aim to do actually is to support a strong, equitable, and accessible public education system for students across the province. So Mostly you... parent-run, okay. sorry. Mostly parent-run, yeah. So, of course, uh, you're very much involved with parents, so what would we say uh, parents can do to be, and we can't replace their teachers, uh, but try and help out and teach them while our kids are at home? What do you, what do you tell the parents? Well, I think the most important thing actually is to... Um, calm down a little bit about this sort of hyper-focus on academics and education at this point. I think there's a lot of stresses that families are going to be going through, both financial, uh, work-related, and health-related. And so um, more than just trying to get back into academics, I think it's probably most important for, for kids to 
decrease the environment the, the amount of stress in their environment probably it's more important to, to maintain a little bit of a schedule and not immediately give them their march break let them run rampant let them have a little bit of fun around the house let them play some video games let them play with play-doh and then after march break after you know the novelty of not being in school wears off then maybe a bit of a schedule but it doesn't necessarily have to revolve around academics maybe at 10 o'clock it's some reading and maybe at 11 o'clock it's let's learn to bake together or let's talk about cooking and 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 incorporate them in family life but i think to try and emulate school at the home level while parents are working at home and trying to pay bills and trying to navigate this pandemic is actually only going to hurt them. I love that you're saying that because I think it's really important. I have two kids at home myself. Andrew does as well. You know, my daughter's 13 and had a little bit of a meltdown because she's got no closure to this school year. They're they're stressed out. They're worried about, you know, this health care, this health scare overall. And then school, the rug is kind of yanked out from under them. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's difficult for a lot of students, right? The, the one day they, they left school on a Friday and then there's no school on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then to, on top of that, to start to have to think about, you know, oh my goodness, how am I going to keep up with, with learning to divide fractions? And it puts a lot of pressure on parents as well. I think these are unprecedented times. We have to have unprecedented answers. Kids need to feel some security. Let them play. Let them have fun. Actually, this is a wonderful opportunity to do all of the things that kids don't do at school that we used to do, um, you know, decades ago, Mm -hmm. right? So involve kids in playing board games. There's a lot of learning that happens at home through other activities that don't have to involve online learning. So let's just kind of calm down a little bit. We don't need to be hyper-focused on the academics. All kids will get there. The mandate of the province is that all children must have equitable access. So going to online learning is going to leave a lot of people in the margins out. Um, we're all in this boat, same boat together. It's not that some kids are going to get education and some kids aren't. We will all start on the same page come September. So deep breaths. The kids will be okay. They will learn to factor polynomials at some point. <laughs> it doesn't have to be by next Tuesday. And let's make you know their environment secure and stress-free as possible. Barb, you mentioned planning, and I think you used the term structure earlier in our conversation. So I guess having a conversation, obviously age-dependent on your student, uh, with your student and uh, letting them know what's going on uh, in the world and giving them these facts, like you mentioned, being on the level playing field come the next school year, whenever that may be, communicating would be key. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... We, we, especially if kids are going to be doing a lot of online learning, unless you're going to be looking over their shoulder, they can always veer off and find information that could be unsettling to them because almost everywhere you're going right now online, there's information around this pandemic. And a lot of it can be scary. So if you're in your home isolating with children, have conversations. This is actually, in many ways, a wonderful opportunity to recenter and recalibrate our families and, and get around to board game and have discussions. Talk about, you know... Um, hygiene when you're when you're rolling the dice and the next person passes hit this is why we're staying home because this is how germs travel in ways that kids can understand but also making sure that we're not creating more stress for them and i think the last thing we need to do parents is add the stress of now having to keep up with K-12 provincial curriculum on them. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, it's ludicrous. You're right. I mean, the parents, the adults uh, already have enough stress on them with everything that's going on. Is that your suggestion then? Just sort of do the learning in a, in a really natural and kind of organic yeah. way? Uh, 
Absolutely. This is just about keeping the wheels greased, right? So I do believe that kids benefit, most kids benefit from a structure and a schedule. They like being, their days being somewhat predictable. So go for a walk, you know, you know, in our house, we're saying seven o'clock walk. That's what we're going to do at 7 p.m. We're going to go out for a walk. We are going to start baking together. It benefits all of my children to learn how to bake. Inherent in that is proportions and fractions, temperature, science, solids to liquids, and that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not going to plan it around a lesson plan. It's going to be some sort of by proxy learning that happens because of the daily rituals of life. Um, and we can we can schedule it, but it doesn't need to be with the main focus of academic learning. It's just a new normal for the next foreseeable future. Great points. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Barb. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Stay safe. That's Barb Silva, Communications Director for Support Our Students, Alberta. Love it. Love that stuff. Absolutely. And it's 7.15 on the morning news. I, uh, You know, as far as I'm concerned, the number one thing that I take away from that is what she said, that you can't go full school and then that screeching halt that the kids went through. In fact, uh, after the program this morning, I have to take my junior high kids and, oh, I get to see my friends. And I say, it's not like that. You're going to go in. Grab your stuff from your locker and get out. Um, so the transition is tough for them. And I it like is. what she said when she said, let them have their yeah, spring break. This would have been it, right? their spring break. Because it's stressful for the parents because it's stressful for the kids. And in fact, my kids pick up at uh, for their locker stuff is Friday, but I'm going in. I'm not even letting the kids go in. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah, I'm doing it myself. Mine are going to have to because, and I think for my grade nine student, it's almost like saying goodbye. It's like some closure to a certain extent because she was expecting to graduate, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I said, it's going to be five, ten minutes. I'm going to be waiting in the car uh, with, with the younger kids because it's not the time. Don't try to coordinate with your friends. It's not <laughs> going to happen. They're going to be hugging each other. No, they're and not. And, uh, you know, you better lay down the law, Absolutely. Andrew Schultz. But you have to. You have to if you haven't. I mean, maybe you, like, some people have the work email account and then the uh, family life account. Keep on top of that because whether it's a CBE or you're in a different board, lots of info coming For down. For sure, yeah. And you might even, if, you, if you're just hearing this right now, uh, pick up. No, no, there's it, a and schedule. Most of it's happening this week, schedule, and so whether it's today online. or tomorrow. Yeah, you're Make right. Sure you know, and, and with band students, it's a different game in that some uh, schools are letting them keep the instruments. Well, they don't want to clean them. Some are saying, well, I'm sure if they take them back, they'll just sit in a room. COVID germs, <laughs> you don't want the instruments no. back, that's for sure, with all that spit in there. Got to be. You keep those in practice for the summer. Let your parents enjoy <laughs> that there, kids. Um, you know, for tomorrow, we're talking uh, just after 6 o'clock with a grade 12 student. Uh, full disclosure, he's my nephew, but mm-hmm. he, it, you know, what do you, what are these grade 12 students? They're kind of left in limbo, too. This was their final year. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to graduate. That's not happening now at this point, anyway. You know, they will graduate, obviously, and I'm sure because it happened during the flood, they'll get that graduation ceremony at some point, mm-hmm. I would assume, but will they all be able to make it there and how's it affecting them that's a tough one so we'll, we'll talk to him tomorrow morning and get a, a little bit of a, an, a, a, an update on the impact from that absolutely 717 helicopter uh, helicopter traffic for west district by truman only one traffic light from the mountains fog creating reduced visibility across the, the city in some areas it is thicker like on deerfoot trail around anderson road and uh, and around uh, beddington trail up in the northeast we do have light volume though on deerfoot trail southbound as you come off the qe2 down towards memorial that's going to be a 10 minute drive northbound lanes also sitting at 10 minutes northbound from a stony trail up towards 17th avenue glenmore trail an eight minute drive eastbound from sarcy trail highway eight out towards deerfoot and you're also looking at about 12 minutes on crowchild trail southbound from stony trail out of tuscany and rocky ridge down towards the bow river if you are heading out onto the area highways this morning 
uh, south of the city towards Last Bridge. Road conditions uh, looking pretty good. North up towards Carstairs and beyond towards Edmonton. You are dealing with some late flurry action, so that could result in some icy sections. And of course, the Trans-Canada heading into BC, you're definitely going to encounter some winter driving conditions, mostly just icy patches on the bridge decks and exit ramps. Shop, buy, and schedule your tire changeover in seconds at caltire.com. And don't forget Caltire's price match guarantee to ensure you get the best price on tires. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. It's 842 now, and with about four months until the Olympics opening ceremonies, the world is self-isolating, borders have closed, the sports world has come to a halt, yet the IOC says it remains fully committed to the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020. And that's something Olympian Haley Wickenheiser says is insensitive. She joins us now. Hi, Haley. Hey, Thanks for joining us. As a member of the Athletes Commission and as a doctor in training, what do you think is wrong with the way the IOC is talking about this? Well, I think it's the tone. I, I have no doubt that at the end of the day, uh, the IOC has access to the best medical experts, the WHO. Uh, you know, they will likely make the right decision. But the way it's being portrayed, we have uh, really a society, all of humanity is is concerned, is unsure of they can pay their bills if they will have a job. And, and we're talking about uh, how we're going to isolate in the athlete's village in July. I just I feel that, you know, athletes have a bigger burden now than just training for the Olympics. They're concerned, you know, about their families. Yeah, uh, you know, there's many facilities that are closed, pools that can't, can't train, tracks can't access. Athletes in certain countries can't even leave their homes, for example, in Italy. So we have a, <laughs> we have a bigger problem here at stake. And, and I just feel that to say we're, we're going to go ahead with the games in July is, is not is not true when we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because if you follow um, at Wick underscore twenty two your uh, uh, Twitter handle, uh, you say that you've uh, given a lot of thought and your perspective has changed. Would that have been from the athlete's perspective before? Uh, you know, thinking about these games uh, to uh, you know your new life and, and what's important to you and, and your studies and such. Uh, not not so much, Gord. I think just. Um, you know, I've been, you know, I'm not a, a fully uh, trained doctor. I'm in my mm-hmm. last year of medicine. Um, but I have been in emergency rooms for the last two and a half months across the GTA here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I've watched this, uh, this this pandemic sort of escalate. And I've watched the, the reaction of the doctors that I work with and the nurses that I work with uh, to the point where last week uh, it just didn't seem right to continue to guarantee a sporting event when, you know, people around the world's health, uh, you know, we need to be socially isolated. We need mm-hmm. to stay away from each other right now. Um, and if we do all the right things, we have a chance to get out of this sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just felt it was it was really not the right messaging to be sending at this point in time. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying we don't know, we may have to postpone, we're looking at all the options. But again, the tone to me, uh, it, it just it doesn't sit right with a lot of athletes around the world. Yeah, tone deaf really, isn't it? So have you had any blowback from the IOC? Because I suspect it's coming. I have, actually. I received a, a pretty uh, nasty message last night, and uh, that's generally what happens when you uh, <clears throat> when you speak up. Um, but as I said, it's a, it's a hill I'm willing to die on. Uh, I got elected to the IOC Athletes Commission to do the right by the athletes and to do what I felt was right. Uh, I think all of Canada, the Canadian Athletes Commission, the Canadian Olympic Committee, we all sort of stand aligned in this with the differing <laughs> temperaments of how we're expressing it. 
um, that we have to be empathetic to what people are going through on a day-to-day basis. And uh, sport will follow. Athletes are resilient. You know, sport will unite the world. We will have an Olympics at mm-hmm. some point. It's just a question of... Oh, we lost you, I think. Are you there? I'm, I'm here. Oh, there. Sorry, we <laughs> lost, sorry, we lost yeah. that little bit there. You can finish your thought there. I'm sorry you cut out for a sec. Yeah, sure. As I, I, I just said, we will have an Olympics at some point uh, in time, but it has to be the right point in time. Um, when it's when it's right for the world, when people feel good again, when people are united by sport, um, not stressed by other things going on in their lives. Haley, you can't be alone um, in in this stance. Are you hearing from other uh, similar people in your position across the globe uh, saying the same thing? Yeah, yeah. Now I think um, it always takes one mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. to break the seal. And uh, there was a New York Times article today. Uh, British Broadcasting, CNN, there's a lot of athletes now who are expressing uh, their concerns. There's a lot of athletes that are afraid to. There's a lot of uh, National Olympic Committee presidents that are afraid to speak up um, when when they have concerns like this. So I think in times like this, we, we just have to be brave. I'm not uh, condemning the IOC for what they're doing. I'm just saying, hey, let's, let's shift our tone to acknowledge the unknown and to say to athletes, you know, you may have to train uh, for a long period of time without knowing when you're going to compete. And that's just the way it is. You have to all be comfortable in some ways with being uncomfortable, and that's a hard thing to do. Well, you've never held back before, so we're glad you're not either. Uh, I think it's an important discussion to be had, so thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. You too. That's Haley Wickenheiser.